Mosin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this. Yes, so are we. We would like to get started because with your background. I mean, you are a consummate real estate professional. You come from real estate in your family and you have taken it upon yourself to enhance real estate with blockchain technology. So we're really excited to get into it, but let's begin with your story and, and your backstory. How did, how did all of this begin? Sure. So, you know, I was kind of born into real estate in ways that my uh, family has a real estate investment company as part of the many other businesses they have. And the one thing that, that always had piqued my interest was real estate, real estate, and always real estate. My first real estate job was right after eighth grade, summer break, right before ninth, ninth grade. Uh, my dad told me that I needed to manage two of his buildings, commercial office buildings, and I need to understand how that process worked. Now, this was in Pakistan. And so the way property management happens over there is very, very different than over here. But that was my first fully immersed experience with, within commercial real estate. And as much as it was difficult to get used to, but it, it kind of made me fall in love with, with real estate even more. I could, I went on to study at York University, where I went to business school. And so my, my focus was purely finance and real estate. And that's what I studied. And when, as soon as I graduated, I moved to Dubai, with, where my family already had investments. So I started having investments across the Middle East. So that was UAE, Bahrain, and Qatar, you know, with a real focus uh, on the UAE. So we, we had investments across Dubai, Ras al-Khem as well, which were some of uh, the not so well-performing ones, but in, in upcoming uh, area nonetheless. Very quickly after that, we had uh, the recession or, or, or the global meltdown that happened back in 2008, 2009. And as, as that happened, that opened up opportunities for expanding uh, our real estate investments. And as we started to see some assets get into starting to be non-performing, I started to manage global assets for, for our family's holdings. So I went from not just from the Middle East to across Asia, Africa, and Europe as well. Made my first investment in North America on behalf of the family in Toronto, which was back in 2009. That was a very small investment just as a test case on how the North American market's doing. Surprisingly, Toronto was one of those markets that was least affected by the financial crisis back then. Prices uh, did not fall very sharply. They were steady. And, and so there was, there was hope for growth very quickly. But as I started investing in the Middle East, uh, in North America, I started to focus across the West Coast. I ended up moving to LA, started investing in LA, in Scottsdale, and in Reno as well. So those are the three er areas where I was focused on all the way up until 2014. That's what our primary focus area was. In 2012, we made our first investment in the Midwest as well. So we started to explore investments across the Midwest in 2011, end of 2011, early 2012 or so. We kind of shortlisted Southwest Ohio as the area that, that we really wanted to be in. And that was for a bunch of different reasons, uh, which included the strong economic backbone that Cincinnati had, the 20-some Fortune 1000 companies that were based out of here. So all of that kind of played into the reasons why we chose Cincinnati as as the hub of our investments that, that early on. It wasn't until 2014 that I actually ended up moving to Cincinnati. I separated from the family uh, holding company and started to syndicate myself. I started to 
raise money from friends, from family, and start to do smaller uh, multifamily and mixed deals and assets. So 30 units to 50 units, sometimes up to 75 unit uh, unit buildings uh, as well is is what I what I was focusing on. So built that portfolio up to about 50 mil of assets under management around all the way up until 2019. And that's when I left that and kind of focused purely on the crew 100%. And it's during that journey that I came across what blockchain could really do for real estate. And it's during that journey that I had the aha moment of, oh, we could really utilize this technology and we could really enhance the experience all within commercial real estate as we deal with it right now. But yeah, that's that's a quick background in, on on me and, and my real estate journey so far. So nearly a couple of decades of, of real estate investing for me. Yeah. Wow. That is incredible. Really that global experience of investing must've taught you so much about the way that real estate works just in, in different countries and even like regulatory, which we're going to get into a lot with, with blockchain and secondary markets and everything that's going on. And also getting into the Midwest that early, good for you because people have just been discovering that really over just the past couple of years. So really goes to show how much research one needs to do to get into a new market and the conviction that you need to get in so early. Yeah. So see, hindsight is twenty twenty, And now when we look back at it, we could have invested in Columbus or in Nashville and values would have been much higher, but we still stand strong by uh, and stand by our decision of picking Southwest Ohio versus any of these higher performing cities. And the, and the reason for that uh, is again, all the research that, that, that we had to do and everything that we had to look out for, you know, there were some certain things which are as little as how many major league sports teams does a city have, or what's the size of the university that, that, that that's within uh, a certain city or around a certain city, and, and what all does the city support as well. So as simple as, as things like that, going deeper into the true economic backbone and what the city can sustain, all, all of those things really help you make the decision. And, you know, investing in the Midwest is very different than investing internationally. So anywhere else across Asia, across Europe, across the Middle East, uh, or even across the coast. So majority of your mature real estate markets will have negative cap rates, right? Where they, they will have, you're usually investing in, in real estate for tax benefits, as well as uh, growth over time and value of the asset, uh, as well as inflation hedging, right? You, when you're looking at investing in the Midwest, or when we start looking at investing in the Midwest, you know, you, we're, we're talking about massive positive cap rates, 18, 19% year on year, without including any gains by the sale of those assets, or, or it, it, and you just don't, you, you can't find that anywhere else, not even in, in uh, developing countries, not not even in all cash countries. If anything, there your cap rates are even further below zero or even more in the negative. So the Midwest was 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 a great place for us to venture into, and it was a smaller venture comparatively, but but it's made all the sense so far. Let me let me jump in because I think that's a point we should emphasize, right? Because in the U.S., we currently live in this environment where you know everyone talks about cap rates compressing at, at crazy rates and then pricing appreciation, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, every time I chat with a group outside the U.S., I hear a similar sentiment of like, well, in my country, 
Like we've been buying at two caps, you know, that's the best you can you can do, right? And so my question for you is why why is that the case? What's the difference between buying uh, you know at a negative cap rate in the Middle East uh, as opposed to buying a, a five cap in you know somewhere in the Midwest? Yeah, so uh, it's not just the Middle East. You look at that's negative cap rates as well. You know, you you go to New York or you go to LA or San Fran. San Fran is now negative uh, on on a lot of the assets as well. But you, you're not looking at more than two cap, or if you're lucky, uh, a highly levered asset would be a three cap, if anything at all. In in all the other mature real estate markets, be it Hong Kong, be it London, be it Paris, be it. Uh, Immature markets like Dubai or even others, it, you're using leverage to increase your buying power. You're not using leverage to increase your return. You're truly paying a price for increasing your buying power. So you have the ability to buy larger assets, right? In, in the Midwest, the way that assets have been valued or the way that how quickly they're devalued and then they've started to value, uh, value up again, that, that kind of created that delta of high cap rate. You know, even at the midst of the financial crisis, LA and San Fran didn't have anything better than a six cap. You were sub fives very, very early 2010, 2011, already looking at sub five deals from that perspective. When you get into the Midwest, the value of the land and the value of the building is so much lower than than the rent rents that you can receive. It, 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 that, that's what kind of results in in the higher cap rate people over here don't have the uh, either they don't have the ability to buy or or they don't want to buy because uh of, of whichever reason they'd ra- rather rent from that perspective be it office be it retail be it multifamily even for that matter and in and, and, and as the, those values of those assets are increasing you're seeing that cap rate compression where, where those rates are going down now, when we start investing in, in Cincinnati, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, we we're looking at 18, 19, 20 caps, maybe even higher in class C multifamily buildings. Now, you know, you, you want to do a decent deal, class B, class A, you're looking at five, sub five, any given day, even in a market like Cincinnati. Yes, we're one of the top 30 largest cities in, in, in the US. Yes, we're, you know, we're growing faster than any other Midwestern city at this point, but you know, that still doesn't explain how low those cap rates have dropped over the last 10 years. And well, the increase in the value of the real estate is is what explains that more than anything else. So yeah, we're we're seeing some of the same, obviously, and we're we're doing some investing in in Midwest markets, especially in single family rental. That's a newer asset class for us, and because better cap rates than than multifamily. But I would like to to jump into the journey of a crew, and if you can tell us what a crew is, and I guess how you came into blockchain and what propelled you to create a blockchain-based real estate company? I think it's key for me to tell you how a crew started over here. 2018, 2017, I dealt with a couple of redemptions because we were so tightly knit in terms of our investors, all friends and family. We didn't have any protections from redemptions for us as a sponsor or, or as a GP. They were very friendly for everyone. And one of our larger investors had faced some personal issues. And for that reason, you know, we had a couple of major redemptions, uh, which really affected the capitalization of a couple of projects that we were working on at that point. And, and the, the projects that investor was involved in. 
that caused me to go around on a, on a fundraising uh, tour or road trip. One of those stops was in Toronto. I was meeting with one of my old friends uh, from school, as well as one of my investors. And he's like, well, and I was telling him, hey, this is what happened. This is what's going on. He committed some money. At the end of the dinner, he was like, hey, what do you know about blockchain? And I was like, I I bought a Bitcoin back uh, in the day and I'm holding on to it. And that's been my only exposure to crypto. And that's that's about it. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about blockchain, like the underlying tech. So tell me about it. I, I don't know anything. And as he started explaining things to me, it was like the immutable ledger, the ease of transactions. And it's like, wow, this could solve a lot of things for me. Like you're really bringing in trust in the trustless environment. So now I can not just, I don't just have to go to friends and family who trust me with their money. I can provide that trust with that proof of ownership of sorts on, on, on that immutable ledger. I don't would never have to deal with redemptions where because now we can create a coin of sorts that people can go ahead and trade it when they want to sell it. You know, the minimum investment for our fund was 250K. So we could really bring that down. Like initially I was thinking 25,000, 50,000 or something on those lines. Like we could really open up the space for other people to invest uh, in, in this area as well. You know, I I do understand finance a little bit, and with all these private placement offerings that, that we've worked on before, give me the n- little bit of knowledge to know that what I was trying to do was going to pass the Howie test any given way that that I tried to put it, and so this was going to be treated as a security. You know, there's you, you have people who who want to run away from regulations, and then uh, you have people who want to comply with regulations, and then there's but what regulations do apply? That kind of set set us on a journey of. If you're going to do this, we need to make sure that we're 100% US-based and we're 100% compliant. We don't want to be one of those companies based out of Singapore or Thailand or uh, even any of the Caribbean islands or, or anything on those lines. We want to be based out of the US. We want to be compliant. We want people to feel secure and safe when they're investing uh, with us. And that led me to the journey on learning more about blockchain as well. So I started read more uh, about blockchain, read more about the distributed ledger, read more about how different blockchains are different, private versus public, Ethereum versus Hyperledger was the initial conversation. It's like, well, all of these other uh, chains are out there as well. What, what, what should we look at? What should we not look at? In, in that process, I picked up a program at Oxford University at Said Business School uh, with some very knowledgeable people in the space, which include Andrew Baum and David Schreier. They're industry experts for the last, I don't know, seven years, eight years within the space. Got a lot of learning from that. The programs that I did there really helped out, including blockchain implementation strategies and their FinTech program. Uh, That really helped us uh, structure how we should should put this product out there. So the multi-token architecture that, that I brag about or I talk about or which is very unique to our platform is something that I learned about from there. It's like, well, you could have multiple tokens doing multiple aspects to it. And, and so my blockchain journey kind of uh, started and started to expand from, from that point onwards. Now, while we had some of the best attorneys within Cincinnati to represent us with the regulators, so SEC, FINRA, CFTC, have conversations with them on how we could come up with that compliant platform. We also started on a search journey for finding the right product engineers, for finding the right team members for it. We looked at third-party solutions with Harbor and Polymath and Securita on whether we should integrate those. We looked at utilizing services by consensus. We looked at utilizing services 
by other lo larger blockchain develop development houses or software dev uh, development companies. Uh, the conclusion that we came to was, this is not a product that people with a set mindset would be able to develop. You know, there's so many complexities within it. There are, there's so much that's happening. There's the real estate side of things and real estate transactions are, are, are very unique in their own way. They're not something like, if you look at technologists developing a platform for real estate transactions, that's going to have the technologist's perspective on it. This is the most efficient way to do it. Why are we not doing it this way? Why, why do we have to have these certain inefficiencies in the way in the process? Or why do people need to negotiate the price? You know, crypto does it or stocks uh, change just by a buy-sell matching service. Why is real estate never going to be such a liquid asset that, that it'll be able to trade over the desk? Oh, or my perspective is, no matter how much liquidity we add to it, it'll always be over-the-counter trading for it. It would never be a, a matching service exchange a product from an invest, investment perspective. And even then, that's a lot of liquidity within the space that, that, that needs to be achieved and that needs to be added even for it to work properly as an over-the-counter product. So when developing the platform, we, we went all the way from what the structure needs to be from holding these assets. How do we ensure that the liability from one asset doesn't flow over onto the other. If there is a fire in one building and someone sues that, that, that asset, that liability doesn't go over. If there's a bankruptcy on, from one of the key investors in one of the assets, that doesn't flow over to all the other investors within that asset. And how do we protect everyone, all the investors on there? As well as how do we stay within uh, your money transmission laws? How do we not come up with a stable coin and yet keep the entire uh, transaction on chain? How do we uh, ensure compliance and how do we ensure ID and uh, KYC and AML and accreditation verification and all of, all of those things? So we went ahead and we hired our first engineer. We took that leap of faith, August, 2019, once we had an agreement with the regulators on what the pathway would be to open up to retail investors. You know, now we're a team of 28 people uh, across uh, three different countries, three different continents. So we're, we're you know, we're, it's been a very interesting journey to say the least, but I'll let you delve into any other questions. Yeah, no, it's, you covered so much. And the, the question that comes to my mind is, it seems like no one's been able to create the secondary market efficiently enough for real estate. So, I mean, aside, and obviously there's regulatory, there's, there's monetary, there's, there's so many things. I mean, I think the most liquid that exists is a REIT, which is very different than what you're talking about. Right. Can you speak a little bit to why you think that blockchain could be the solution to creating liquidity and a secondary market where it just hasn't, it just hasn't been done before. I'm really curious, like, right. what is it about blockchain you think that's going to make this successful? So before I answer that, I, I've got to tell you what exactly Accrue does, right? So <laughs> Accrue has not just the initial offering, but also the secondary marketplace. So exactly what you're talking about, the liquidity aspect of it. So we fractionalize assets down into a $1,000 initial token offering price. So you could have a million dollar asset with a thousand tokens, could have a hundred million dollar asset with a hundred thousand tokens, uh, initially being offered at a thousand dollars. We did not want to get into a buy-sell match, uh, matching service of sorts, like your traditional exchanges where REITs get traded or even your blockchain-based ATSs at this point, you know, 
they're great services. I just think real estate is a completely different product. You know, real estate has different expectations. People need different data points. Your red and green charts are not going to get through to a real estate investor. That's not what what they're used to. That's not what they're what they're looking for. You know, they're they're looking at trying to find out what the occupancy levels are in a building. They're looking at trying to find out uh, what your operating expenses are. What what part of that is fixed? You know, uh, what what your net operating income is, and how are you calculating that? What what are the reserves on it? And then they're trying to look at what their equity multipliers are, what their IRRs are based on a one year, five year, ten year hold, or what their cap rates are, as more commonly referred to when people are talking about commercial real estate apps, right? And all of the, that information just cannot be made available at the time of a single trade on a traditional exchange. You know, all that you're going to see is a ticker and a price that, that that's going to go there. Real estate investment decisions are not based are not made based on a ticker and a price and the liquidity within within that asset class. You need to know what you're investing in. So a crew kind of went a, a slightly different platform in, in a slightly different direction, right? So we said, hey. One, we're going to let you invest in an asset of your choice. It's not going to be an obscure portfolio. It's not going to be, or even as, you know, even if there's transparency on the portfolio, it's not going to be something with thousands of asset management fees, thousands in, in asset management fees, or first, second, third tier fees in there. What happens in the REIT? There's a REIT that invests in a fund, which then invests with a sponsor, which then invests in a deal. And then every layer has its own set of asset management fees. And so an asset which which may actually be spending, I don't know, 8% annualized return by the time the shareholder sees the return, it's down to 2 or 3%. And that to aggregate it over their entire portfolio. So we, we wanted to make sure that we, we gave people the ability to get into single direct investment. That is a key and unique aspect as to something that will enable that secondary market to work, right? We also gave the ability to people to be able to tokens at their own price. They're, they're not bound at selling it. This is what the market price is. Your Facebook share or your Apple share is now $1,000 and that's all that it's going to, you, you can sell, uh, sell, sell it for. That's not how real estate works. You know, real estate is also has a lot of sentimental value for the holder for it, or it also has that ownership aspect that, that comes in uh, with it as well. Real estate location could change the value of the asset completely. You know, a location, location, location. So you could have your real estate uh, building in the heart of Manhattan, which is an office building that someone bought the initial uh, initial tokens at a thousand dollars each, but five years later they want to sell it at five thousand or ten thousand or twelve thousand dollars each. And while you know there's no other tokens available for that building. And that may not be the, the price guidance that we would have provided as to, hey, this is what the value of it is. If they want to list it for that, they should be able to list it for that. And, and, and if Dan wants to go in and put in an offer instead of 5,000 for 4,500 that he's willing to pay for it, he should be able to do that as well. And that's what has been missing in a lot of these exchanges and a lot of these secondary market efforts uh, that have gone on there. Now, we're able to do all of this because of the efficiencies that get brought into uh, the transactions by using blockchain. And that's where the blockchain aspect comes into place, right? Um, there's, I started off with this, right? The trust within the trustless environment, that aspect really comes into play. Why would someone trust, you know, a crew or any other company? Uh, what if a crew shuts down today? 
what if, you know, what happens with the bus factor kind of comes into play, right? What would happen to their investments? What, what would happen to the record of their investments? Who's, go, who's going to have that record? Right now within the stock markets, you've got transfer agents so who've got those records. And that, what happens if that TA gets hit, uh, hit by a bus? Or, you know, if they get hacked, there, there's no real record, no reliable record that, that one can rely on. That's why you, you don't have those transactions taking place that efficiently. Then there's the matter of, how do you transfer funds over and how do you put in an offer and you know if someone accepts it how does that transaction take place instantaneously that just doesn't happen with traditional payment rails you could go on robinhood you could try and deposit money your money's stuck there for 3 days and you you can you, you can't buy your stocks for for the next 3 days on the accrue platform you can buy your your real estate tokens instantaneously you can when you're committing to a price so if dan offered forty five hundred dollars for my token dan needed to have forty five hundred dollars in his account which are available at that point and that forty five hundred dollars would transfer into my account the moment i click accept on that offer and my token would transfer over directly into dan's account or wallet instantaneously that's efficiencies like these which did not exist uh previously as well the immutable ledger is an absolute integral aspect of it. While we are still struggling with the regulators on things like transfer agents, why do we need it? That's what the public ledger is for. That's what the public blockchain is for. And that's why we're not on a private blockchain. You know, this is, this is me. This is more secure data than majority of your TAs out there who at the end of the night would put the entire data on a flat file on a USB, on a flat Excel sheet or something on those lines on a USB. And that's going to be their cold storage for the night for that data to keep it secure. Now that's not secure in any way or form, in my opinion. So blockchain has a lot of roles to play in it, whether it's ID, the, the ID aspect of it, you know, making sure you know who you're dealing with, the KYC aspect of it, accreditation verification, depending on what 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 part of the regulation you're in or you're playing with all of that com- comes into play so compliance and and equity and id become very integral parts within real estate as well right so it's not like bitcoin where where, where if i have the coin it's mine and if you have the coin it's yours or if dan has the coin it's his we need to know who has the coin at which point in time because they are going to get some kind of distributions out of it they're going to get some kind of tax form at the end of the year out of it. You know, it, in case someone passes away, you don't want that coin to disappear in, in, in the form of, oh, we don't have the private keys for this. So how do we, you know, how do the heirs get access to it? Or in, in case of a legal battle, if you want a battle against someone who does have real estate holding in the form of coins, how, how do you get access to it? It's not like it's sitting on some cold storage uh, on a Tracer ledger that only he or she knows that this is what they have. So all, all the complexities with the transactions get streamlined when using uh, blockchain in the specific way that we are. And, and so while blockchain is is open source, while, while it is, or, or a lot of the public blockchain, all the public blockchains are open source. You have access to all, all, all the information. Anyone can go on there and code on it. It's it's the architecture and the structure, the, the way that the product is done is, is what, what is key. You know, we're not a decentralized product. We're a very centralized product. So it's about using the technology most appropriately. Uh, it's not about using blockchain because it's a buzzword technology. It's about using it for what its benefits are. And that's that's how that's why we've used it appropriately and, and, and that's the right use case for it. And that's how it's helping us out.
I'm really interested to get your your thoughts on on a certain dynamic, right? Because you know people have been trying to create this secondary market for you know otherwise liquid real estate for for a really long time, right? And and from my perspective, one of the big issues has always been the the information gap, right? And and a joke that we kind of make internally all the time is like in the public markets, the stock market, you trade on inside information, you get caught, you get fined, maybe you go to jail. In real estate, you go right to the bank, right? You know, these are private transactions. You know, people trade on inside information all of the time. And so when you try to take an industry that functions in that way and create what in effect looks like a public marketplace, how do you get over that, that hurdle, right? It, especially because if I'm an individual investor sitting here in Nashville, right, and I want access to, you know, a multifamily apartment building in California, how do I know what's going on? How do I know how to value? Should I pay 4000 or 5000 Like, how, how, how do you think about investors in your product? How should they think about that question? Yeah, so Dan, you, you bring up a great point. Data integrity, uh, the, the data Flow is absolutely key. How do you ensure that you have access to the right data? Uh, this is one of the things that I was talking about earlier. It's not, it's not like the stock market where you're trading based on what the market value is. This is where investors need access to information. Investors need to know how the asset is performing, what those numbers are, what collections are, what uh, your expenses are, what um, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And, and that's something uh, that we've, truly work to streamline on our platform. We, we've created API integrations with all the major asset uh, management softwares out there, be it your app folios or Yardies or rent managers and, and, and the whole nine yards. We've created integrations with them so we have access to real-time data. We've created third-party partnerships with companies like Invenium Capital so we can validate that data and so that we can ensure the integrity of that data. We, we've put in place the right checks and balance so with partnerships with companies like uh, JLL, Christian Wakefield to come in and run quarterly appraisals on these assets so the right data points are available to the investors. We bring in an additional layer by a fund administrator coming out and provide price guidance, which is a derivative of the, of the data uh, that, that, that we're looking at. One thing that we always have to look at is garbage in equals garbage out when looking at data mining or data processing. So the integrity of the data is as good as the integrity of the person putting the data in. So we've tried to minimize as many points variation as possible. So we're currently working with some of the larger asset management softwares uh, to have built-in payment processing by our platform on there. So. For instance, we're, we're running a test right now on a small building, which is a mixed-use building, a 10-unit building, where all the tenants, it, it's an integration with the rent manager and payment processing, instead of happening through rent managers, other APIs, is happening through the accrue property management side of things and payment processor. So tenants go on, uh, log on to their tenant portal. Um, which has their rent manager information on there, as well as maintenance tickets and all of that goes through the accrue platform and their monthly rent, rent payments run through their accrue platform as well. So invoices still get generated from the rent manager as the asset owner would traditionally do, but payments get, get run through the accrue platform. So 
real-time data being available on what's really happening is absolutely key. And as we do this, we're also training our AI algorithm that we've developed. You know, that's a big aspect of what we've developed. It's not something that, that we talk about today as often as we should, I guess, because it's not something that, that we can fully rely on right now. We, we've built a, an AI algorithm, a data engine, where we're mining data constantly in terms of how an asset is performing. And we're building in more, more and more inter integrations uh, with IoT devices for monitoring usage, for monitoring the financial health, for mon monitoring the, the, the utility consumptions, the traffic flows within each asset, define, which then gives us insights into more real-time data on how each asset is performing, not just from a financial performance side of things, but also from a user user side of things or from a maintenance side of things. If, you know, based on, we're running a pilot on this, again, that's on a two unit building based on IoT uh, devices that we're installing is like, if the water consumption increases in each unit by X amount, and, you know, we've kind of put in each, we've put in what, what kind of fixtures are installed in each of the units, what, what the traditional water consumption should be. If there is a leak, what does that mean? That, how, how that would affect the utility bill, what that means on deferred maintenance for, for the building. And so, you know, we're having early detection on maintenance assets, maintenance aspects of it as well. So having access to real-time data that is verified and you can rely on the integrity of the data is absolutely key. And that's what a very important role on how the primary and secondary market transactions would take place or or are taking place on the accrued platform. And the availability availability of that data is, is absolutely integral, no questions asked. So you are you're wearing a lot of hats, right? So you're you're going out and you're finding asset owners that want to get liquidity in, in some way, right? You know, that's not a, a recap or, or a refinance and you're tokenizing. And then you are, you know, facilitating the sale of those tokens to investors. And then you're also you know, overseeing and managing the, the trading of those tokens between other investors, right? And so like everything's kind of done under, under this one, one roof. As you think about the, the future of, you know, blockchain and, and real estate, what are the, where are the bottlenecks, right? Will, will you, do you think this industry will evolve in a way where, where someone controls everything? Or if you'll have, you know, bankers who bring properties to uh, your platform and, and you manage the trading, like what, what do you think the, the end uh, game is for all of this? Yeah. So we, we don't want to be someone who's doing everything. That's not who we are. We're just a platform that's connecting investors to asset owners, that's connecting service providers to assets themselves. That's providing the integrity within the data, and that's providing the information that people need to, to, make, those, to make those trades. Initially, we have built up that marketplace. Initially, we have to build up that platform, uh, you know, be it our partnerships with some of the larger financial institutions out there, top 10 banks, um, be it uh, us bringing lenders on the platform so people can borrow against their security tokens. We, we have to do that. But as we build the infrastructure out, as the platform builds out, and as more and more adoption takes place, our role reduces significantly uh, in those operations on, or, or, or on connecting that, you know, being more active on that second market side of things or on the primary offering side of things. As the ecosystem grows, as the community grows, they... they they start to, it becomes a well-oiled machine and starts to function on its own. Having said that, it, it, the way that we've structured the platform is 
is in a way that we ensure that there is the the integrity aspect of the data is there, the integrity aspect of every deal is there. So we underwrite every deal appropriately as well, but it gets as streamlined as possible from, from an operations perspective as well. So just to give you, and I was just doing this diagram a little, little bit earlier. So this is like the accrued structure. And I was explaining it to someone else as well on, on how, on, on the different entities that get involved and how each entity works with, with, with each other. So you've got like, crew platform all the way up top. And then you've got your BD, you've got your exchange, you've got your TAs, you've got your management. Uh, and then each one has its own sub-entities as well, which are then ha having separate fun functions and functionality associated with it as well. So management having each of the SPVs underneath it. So there, there's a lot to it. No questions asked. That's the only way you can disrupt an industry as large as uh, commercial real estate. It, it just can't happen with, oh, here's a platform, come and list your assets. You know figure out compliance on your own, figure out reporting on your own, figure out how you're going to talk to your investors on your own. That's why real estate is such a complex, complex aspect. And that's why you need a very complex solution to enable the right secondary market and, and, and to make it work. So I have a, a question. This is so interesting to me. I'm trying to think about as an investor, you're providing all of this data and monitoring and really granular, which is so important. And, and the guests that we had on before this episode gave a whole illustration of internet of things and a blockchain and even AI and how all of this is getting integrated and the world today runs on, on data. As an investor who's coming in and I'm thinking, I want to uh, buy one of these tokens how important do you think it is to that investor that that data is there and will they trust you or will they be doing their own due diligence, right? Because we want investors, I mean, especially at Alpha, we tell people this all the time. I mean, you have to know what you're investing in, which is true of everything, right? And it's just that ETFs have made stock investing something that you do without thinking, which I don't know if it's good or bad. It definitely grew the industry. So I guess my, my question is, is around this idea of if I'm an investor, I know you're doing all of this. I want to, I want to buy in. Am I, am I going to go and do all my due diligence on this one token? Or am I buying because I want to diversify? I want it to be easy. I want to be able to turn around and sell it. I think it's really interesting to think about all of those elements and to what degree will people not be underwriting at all and just be trading? So look, uh, you, you brought up how ETFs made uh, capital markets a lot more active and increased the market share uh, on that front. ETFs are something where people don't want to do the due diligence. People don't want to read up on, the, on what they're investing in. And then there's other investors or, you know, you have your larger funds or hedge funds or uh, other folks who are really doing their due diligence before they're making their investment decisions. We, we, we think the platform is going to have both, both aspects to it. You're going to have individual investors. Uh, who are really going to want to do deep dive due diligence on, on these assets. And then you're going to have uh, individual investors who are just going to want to look at some key metrics and, okay, 
this is fine. This is what the price guidance on, on this token is. This is what I'm going to buy it at, or this is what I'm going to sell it at, or this is what the historic return on this asset has been. And this is what, what, what is projected on it. This works for me. I can even pay a little bit more for it. And that works for me. And then you're going to have other people who are going to be like, we want to go through all the detailed information on this. We want access to all of this information. And so that's how we built the platform. It's, it is for everyone. So while we super simplified your traditional PPM and put it in, in the form of a single web page, there is the, the document wall. There, there is detailed information. There are detailed financials. There are detailed offering docs. There are detailed asset performance history, histories and docs that are available. There's rentals. There's you know, everything that is that, that you need to conduct your due diligence on an asset, along with boots on ground inspection reports, along with third-party appraisals, the whole nine yards. So for people who want to run their due diligence, they can. For people who want to just look at the the, the, the minimalistic data that they want to, they can also do that. You know, this is two separate investors on the platform who I personally spoke with. One of them was complaining about how there is too much data in the form of that oversimplified PPM of sorts that we, we, we put together on, on the main page. And he doesn't need all of that data. He just cares about the key summary uh, table and he wants that to be tweaked a little bit. So it's a, it's, it's a little more efficient. Uh, and then the other investors like, Oh my God! I need access to this, 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 and this. This much more information. And you know, I walked him through on. Hey, you have access to all of this information. This is where you, where you can get it. So you're always going to have all kinds of people on there. Whether, especially when you get into institutional uh, investors, uh, they're going to have their own set of DD requirements. Uh, and that's why we have to underwrite every deal as if we're investing in it ourselves. Uh, that's why we have to ensure that no asset makes it on the platform without our underwriting, which is which, which is extremely extensive. That's why we have to cover not just the asset side of things we, uh, or the financial side of things, we also have to cover the legal uh, side of things and the reporting side of things. And we, we create that entire DD package when we're originally listing an asset. We continue to update the information as the asset remains on the platform on a quarterly basis, as well as with real-time data coming in through all of these integrations that we've built in. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's really good to hear Anyone who knows us that that listens regularly or is one of our investors knows how adamant we are about underwriting and being really thorough. And, you know, as a professional who's lived in real estate, literally like your whole life, you obviously see the value in that. And I think it's a really important element that you're going to be bringing into a crew. And I'm really excited for where you're going with the company, with bringing the transparency that blockchain can bring and, and offering as much uh, due diligence as somebody wants. And I really, I really wish you the best of, of luck in, in getting this thing to finally work that hasn't, hasn't been able to work. I'm a big proponent and believer in blockchain and what it's going to do to revolutionize every area of our lives. So I'm really excited to follow your progress and really want to thank you for taking some time to be with us today. Well, I've been thinking of uh, most in it is as the Kool-Aid man, right? He's, he's busting through walls, like basically trying to stock market from, from scratch, which is a, a massive undertaking. And so, you know, as real estate investors who, you know, love liquidity, we appreciate the efforts that, that y'all are taking. No, thank you. I, you know, it's, it's with all of your guys' support and with early adopters and believers like you guys, that, that really makes this work, right? Uh, 
conversations like these, when your listeners listen to this or when they hear about this and, and when, when they understand how the platform really works, that's, that's what really leads to, to adoption. And that's what leads to real change and real ability for people to bring in change in, in their investment strategies as well. So. Thank you yeah. so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and we'll include the, the link to Accrue. And for, for people listening, that's akru.com, right? For akru.co. So, .co. Wait, right there. Yeah. So, so it's <laughs> right behind me. Accrue.co. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay. And we'll make sure that that is in the show notes. So Mosin, thank you so much again. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. This is lots of fun. Really appreciate it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>